Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. So I believe last time we finished the cycle of Psalms for the days of the week. Is that correct? And we said we're going on to Kaddish. Okay, Alan nodded. That means it's true. Okay. Um, so we're going to be talking about Kaddish. And we'll, that'll occupy us for at least a couple of weeks. Um, and Kaddish is a very interesting example of, uh, we could, we could call it either a ritual or a folk custom, depending on what you got your PhD in. Um, where the history of it is that evolves into something much more than it starts as. So probably if you ask most people in an Orthodox shul what the Kaddish is, they would say, oh, it's a prayer they say a bunch of times during the davening. And probably if you ask people at non, from the non-Orthodox community, what's the Kaddish, they would say, oh, it's a prayer for the dead, or it's a prayer that mourners say, or something like that. And originally, Kaddish, so in, in many people's mind, Kaddish becomes associated with death, grieving, um, commemorating people who are no longer alive on our planet with us physically. Um, but it's really not that at all in its history, and it's really not that at all in its core meaning, which then, of course, a lot of people who are mourners who are, I think most of us have been mourners at one point or another in our lives. So, um, most people, I'm, at least I'm seeing uh, on, on the Google here. Um, uh, and so people, mourners then encounter mourners cottage and they say, Oh, what does this have to do with mourning? To which the answer is, uh, in terms of the content of it, nothing because it wasn't written with anything to do with mourning in mind. It has nothing to do with mourning whatsoever, probably for the first. I don't know, 500 to a thousand years ish of the Kaddish's existence. It had nothing to do with mourning. There was no such thing as the mourner's Kaddish. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the history of the Kaddish and its meaning and how there got to be a mourner's Kaddish. And then we'll try to bring our understanding of the, um, custom or practice to its, um, conclusion by, uh, I don't mean conclusion, but I mean, try to bring the discussion forward, we probably won't get to that this week for sure, with the question of, okay, given the reality that the Kaddish originally has nothing to do with mourning or grieving, but over time it's evolved into this prayer that mourners say, are, what are the ways in which mourners can relate to the mourner's Kaddish and finding, meaning, it, finding it meaningful, given that it wasn't actually a writ, written for them? And so it may often, very often feel to the mourner like this wasn't written for me. And the reason for that is because it wasn't. Okay. It's a, it's, a, I don't want to say it's a repurposed prayer. It's a newly, uh, purposed prayer, newly about a thousand years ago. Um, in the second thousand years of the Kaddish. Okay. Um, so that's my way of intro. Conceptually, Kaddish is sort of like the Baruchu in that it is a, an attempt. It's structured as the, the leader who we might call the Chazan, 
the leader getting the congregation to praise God's name, right? So it's a public praising of God's name. That's the core of the Kaddish. And the reciter or the leader, it's their role or job to get the people to praise God's name. So it, it Baruch Hu, that's very obvious because it's so short. We say Baruch Hu et Hashem Hamvarach. Bless, command form, right? Imperative. Bless uh, Hashem, who is, bless God, who is to be blessed or who is full of blessing, however you translate Mavorach, okay? And then the Kahal responds. Baruch Hashem Hamvarach Lilavet. Blessed is, the, the Kahal responds and does it one better, right? Blessed is God, who is to be blessed. Le'olam vayed, forever and ever. Kaddish is really the core, the same idea. It's just a lot longer. Okay. But the, but the essence of the Kaddish is the Kahal's part. Yehesh mei rabah mivarach le'olam almei almaya, which is actually, which is Aramaic for kind of the same core idea, not a translation, but the same core idea as the Baruch Hu. Mei, yehesh mei rabah means Yehei Shmo Hagadol, may God's great name be Mivarach, which is the same as Mivorach, blessed. Le'alam ule'almei almaya, le'olam ule'olmei olamin, which is just a longer way of saying le'olam va'ed. It means forever and ever and ever. Okay? So the Kaddish is structured as a leader saying, you know, God's name should be praised because God is great. God is the greatest. Allahu Akbar, as we say in Arabic, right? God is the greatest. <laughs> so you people, you should acknowledge that. And then the people say, which is why, because you're getting kahal to say it, that is why Kaddish is said only in a minion. Okay, it's skipped when there is no minion. Same as Baruchu has said only when there's a minion, because it doesn't really make sense to say to a kahal, in air quotes, a congregation, hey, you should bless God if there isn't actually a congregation there. And halakhically, congregation is defined as 10. By the way, um, just so you know, um, many sidurim contain a prayer. There are various ver- prayers, traditional and not traditional versions, that are written to say but for mourners to say when there is no minion present. It's called Bimkom Kaddish in lieu of Kaddish. We'll try to get to that eventually, right? So when you can't say Kaddish halakhically because there's no minion, but someone feels the need to say something, right? Uh, it probably wouldn't be before Baruchu, right? It probably wouldn't be the non-mourner Kaddishes, right? Because the Chazan isn't going to feel all that bad if there's no minion, right? But a mourner who's supposed to has an obligation to say Kaddish or feels an obligation or desire to say mourner's Kaddish, who doesn't have a minion, it may well feel bad about that. And so there is a prayer that they don't have the opportunity to say Kaddish. Therefore, there is a prayer bimkom Kaddish, okay? Which does not involve a call and response. That's what makes it a non-minion prayer. Okay, we'll get to that. So first we're just going to talk about Kaddish, which is, the Chazan or the leader saying, hey, people, God is great. Don't you agree? And the Kahal says, may God's great, may God's great name be blessed forever and ever and ever. So the Kaddish is a lot of window dressing around that. Um, now, 
you all obviously know the obvious, which is that the Kaddish is in Aramaic, not in Hebrew, which suggests something to us already about its origins, right? We can assume right away that its origins have something to do with a, um, some point in time when Jews spoke Aramaic and understood Aramaic, but not Hebrew as well, okay? And that whoever wrote the Kaddish wanted to make sure that people understood it, so it was written in their language, okay? Which was no longer Hebrew as the daily spoken language. So then we end up, of course, with another irony, besides the prayer for mourners, which was not written for mourners. We have the prayer that was written in the language that the people would understand, written in the language that today people don't understand. Okay? Um, doubly foreign. But we can assume, because there are very few prayers written in Aramaic, we have the Kedusha responses, in um Uvalatzion, right? We have the Kedusha lines, Kadosh, 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 and Baruch Kodashemikomo, Hashemilokalamba uh, translated into Aramaic. Anyone remember why we said those were translated into Aramaic? Historically, what do we think that reflects? Why that were those lines? Be, that was the language that the people understood was going to be part of study that was going to take place after services. Right. So we said Alan remembers well that we call that third Kedusha of the morning, Kedusha de Sidra, the Kedusha of the Seder. And the Seder, in this context, probably means the teaching. And the hypothesis is that there was a little little Dvar Torah, little teaching of maybe Agada, which was presumably delivered by the whoever delivered it in Aramaic before people left to go on their work day. And... um and then there was a prayer after it. And because the homily was delivered in Aramaic so that people would understand it, someone wanted to make sure that the people also understood Kedusha in Aramaic. And so they inserted the Aramaic translation of the Kedusha lines. Okay. So, and there's probably a link um, of Kaddish to that also. So let me see. For those who are listening at home, um, I'm, I'm just trying to organize my screen share. For, uh, usually when there's a text, I, I, it gets attached to the podcast. Bert, thank you, Bert, for everything you do provides it. But Bert, I'm not going to give this to you yet today because I probably want to spiff it up. Um, okay. Let me do screen share. So what are the, let's call it the antecedents of Kaddish language. So in, Psalm 113, Pasuk 2, 113.2, there is a line which says, Yehi Shem Hashem Mivorach, it says Yivorach, but that's a typo, Mivorach, Me'ata Ve'ad Olam, may God's name be blessed forever and ever. And of course, it's in Psalm, so it's in Hebrew, because it's from the Tanakh, okay? So that's not exactly... But it's, you know, 70% of the way there. Uh, where, by the way, how do you know that line intuitively from Psalms? When do we say Psalm 113? It's part of 
Hallel, isn't it? It's Hallel, right? So there's yeah. a line in yeah. Hallel, okay, which is sort of an early, uh, a Hebrew proto-version of Yeheshme Rabbah. It doesn't have the equivalent of Rabbah, but it has shame. It has shame Hashem instead of Shmo HaGadol. Mivarach. And instead of Le'olam Al-Me'olmaya, it says Me'ataviyat Olam. Okay? But it's pretty much the same idea. Then in the book of Daniel, which was, uh, which is half in Hebrew and half in Aramaic, and scholars think its final editing was it during the, um, Maccabean revolt, the Hanukkah story in the 160s BCE. In Aramaic, it says, Lehevesh me di Elaha mevarach min alma ve'ad alma, which I'll translate into Hebrew means, Yehe shmo shel ha'el mevarach min ha'olam ve'ad ha'olam. May the name, may God, the name of God be blessed from one world to the next, from world to world, literally, if you want to translate it literally. So we have in Daniel then, in Aramaic for, in Aramaicized, you might call it an Aram, I don't want to call it a translation of Psalms, because I, I don't, I, it's, it's not meant to be that exactly, but uh, it's a, a line in Aramaic, half of Daniel is Aramaic, probably because that's already, people are already speaking Aramaic then as their day-to-day language during the Hasmonean era during the Hanukkah rebellion, no longer speaking Hebrew as the day-to-day language. So we have in Psalms, in Hebrew, and in Daniel, in Aramaic, proto-versions of the line. Um, and the, the Gospel of, of Matthew has the Lord's Prayer, which is, Avinu Sheba Shamayim, Yitbarach Shemecha, is how it starts, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Is Avinu Shabashamayim Yitbarach Shimcha. So we have this idea of blessing God's name, which migrates also into the, uh, you know, the, the, um, the stream of Judaism that ended up splitting off and becoming Christianity. Then we have two mentions of this in the Talmud. Uh, so in, um, Brachot 3a, there's a story about Rabbi Yossi, who's a Tana before the Mishnah's editing. He, he, one day he bumped into Eliyahu Hanavi and mm-hmm. Eliyahu Hanavi told him that when Jews enter the Beit Knesset and the Beit Midrash and they say, Yehe Shmei Hagadol Mivarach, which is very interesting because it is a combination of Hebrew and Aramaic, right? Yehe Shmo Hagadol Mivarach, may God's great name be blessed. Hashem nods his house approvingly and says, happy is the king who is praised in his own palace, right? Sometimes the people in the palace <clears throat> are muttering behind the king's back. When are we going to get, when, when can we assassinate that king and get a better king? But, you know, <clears throat> Ashrei is the king who even in their own palace, right? Um, the, the, the family and the courtiers praise them. Okay. Of course they praise the king to their face, but even behind the king's back. Okay, so that means there's a story of Rabbi Yossi, who's a Tana, right, who says Eliyahu Anavi, who, who commutes between earth and heaven freely, says up there in heaven, when Jews come into the Beit Knesset and the Beit Midrash, and they say, Yeheshmei Hagadol Mivarach, Mivarach, which is like Yeheshmei Rabbah Mivarach, God is happy. Everyone with me? Okay. 
And then we have another story in the Talmud. This is about Rava, who's from the 300s, 200 years later than Rabbi Yossi. And he says that the world is awful. It deserves to be destroyed. But the only reason it's not destroyed is because people recite the Yehei Shmei Rabbah of the Agadic lesson. Okay? So this then probably comes pretty close to our Kaddish, which was probably a prayer in Aramaic recited, praising God, after the teaching, which was probably at the end of davening. All right? So what that means is by Talmudic times, now we don't have a full text of the Kaddish, in Rava's time, did they say, We have no idea. In Rava's time, did people chime in with Grichu? We have no idea. All we know is the Talmud tells us that in Rava's time, he says, the only thing that sustains the world, because the world is so terrible, is that Jews, at the end of the lesson, proclaim, Okay, so that's, assuming the, the Talmud edited, you know, two or three hundred years later, is reporting that accurately in the name of Rava. Okay, assuming that, that means by the 300s, Jews are citing, are citing Yehoshimei Rava after the lesson. Okay, and then by the time we get to Masachet um, Sofrim and Seder Rav Amram Gaon, right, several hundred years later, 600, 700, 800, 900, there are already rules saying, here's when you say Kaddish, meaning by then, there is an identifiable prayer called the Kaddish, which is recited multiple times during the Siddur, during the prayer service. And here are the rules for when you say it. And here are the rules for when you say full Kaddish. And here are the rules for when you say half Kaddish. So we then have, like, let's just call it three to 500 years of the dark era in between Rava said, thank goodness that Jews say, Yehesh may Rava Mivarach after the lesson. And then by the year 800, we have texts that say, and here's when you say full Kaddish, and here's when you say half Kaddish. And did Rava's era have a full Kaddish and a half Kaddish? We have no idea. And when did there get to be rules for full Kaddish and half Kaddish? I guess the answer is somewhere between 300 and 800 of the common era. And there's no mourner's Kaddish yet. There's nothing about that yet. That comes a few hundred years later. Okay, so we have, I'm just going to summarize what we've said so far. Um, I think I'm going to stop sharing so I can see all of your pretty faces again. Okay, so what we have so far is the core of the Kaddish is to, for the, the reader or leader to get the Kahal to praise God's name. The core line with which they praise God's name is Aramaic. There's a version of it in the book of Daniel. It goes back earlier to a he, sorry, version of it in Aramaic in the book of Daniel. It goes back even earlier to a vision, version of it in Hebrew from Psalms. Um, which again, we don't know when it's from. If you're traditional, you'll say it was written by David Hamelech. And if you're, you know, non-traditional, you'll say Psalms were written somewhere between the years 1000 and 300 and who knows when. Okay. But before Daniel, everyone agrees on that. Okay. So there's a, version of it, a proto-version of it in Hebrew, and then in Talmudic times, we have two attestations, one from Rabbi Yossi, who's a Tana, which means he was before the Mishnah in the 100s, and one from Rava, who was an Amora in the 300s, and both of them seem to be saying that 
people in shul say Yehesh Mei Rabbah. There is a practice, a custom. Something happens in shul where the kahal says Yehesh Mei Rabbah. So presumably, we assume that there was sort of some version of Kaddish that they said at that time. They, they probably, they're probably not referring to the kahal spontaneously bursts out and says Yehesh Mei Rabbah. They're probably referring to some custom. But the Talmud does not exactly say what the custom is, nor does the Talmud call it Kaddish, nor does the Talmud say there's full Kaddish and there's Chatzik Kaddish. Talmud doesn't say any of that. It's only the earliest sources about liturgy from about the year 800-ish that by that point clearly identify there's Kaddish, it's a prayer, it's recited multiple times during the service, and sometimes you say full Kaddish and sometimes you say what's called half Kaddish right, which is without the lines after it. Um, the rules in general about that, let me just say a bit about that, and then we'll come to questions. The rules in general about that is if it's a major stop in the service, meaning this is a major, we finished one section and we're going on to another section. Wait, sorry, take a step back. So so Kaddish, or something that got people to say Yehoshimei Rabbah, was recited at the end of a lesson in Beit Knesset or Beit Hamidrash. We assume that that lesson was at the end of davening. There's no exact proof of that. We assume that because the other clue is Uvalatzion with its Aramaic responses at the end of davening. Okay? And it makes sense. We finish davening before you all go. You're taking off your talis and fill-in. The rabbi does a little vortala before people go off to work. And then they say, then they praise God with the, then they say a Kedusha and they praise God with the words of the Kaddish. This kind of makes sense. So maybe, maybe, but this is the missing link. This is the dark ages. We don't know. Maybe originally Kaddish was only recited once at the end of the service. Okay. Somehow it then became repeated in the, in the service at the end of sections. You finish a section, you say Kaddish. You finish another section, you say Kaddish. When you have a major stop, like a period, you say a long Kaddish. It's what we call full Kaddish, which is the core Kaddish with the three lines afterwards. Titkabel, Yehesh, Lama Rabbah, and Oseh Shalom Yimomav. When it's a minor stop, like a comma or semicolon in the davening, then you say what we call Chatzi Kaddish, half Kaddish, which is the core Kaddish without the three extra lines. Oh, by the way, and we have a couple of other versions. After we study Torah together in shul, either in the morning or in the morning and before Aleinu, in our shul, we don't do it again before Aleinu, but traditional shuls do it again before Aleinu. We say this other thing called Kaddish to Rabbanan, where there's an expanded chunk of the Kaddish. Okay, Al Yisrael, Val Rabbanan, Val Tamideon, da da da. So that's an expanded. That's uh, that's another Kaddish. So we have we have full Kaddish. How many Kaddishes after are there? We have Chatzik Kaddish. We have full Kaddish. We have Kaddish to Rabbanan. We have uh, Kaddish Yatom, which is a full Kaddish, but the mourners leave out Titkabal. That is the dominant Minhag, but it's only Minhag. We'll come back to that. And actually, there's a fifth Kaddish. The fifth Kaddish is called, uh, it's called Kaddish Leit Chadata, because there's a word in it, Leit Chadata, and that Kaddish has a whole other long expansion, and that Kaddish is said on two occasions. Anyone know what those two occasions are? Is Alan? that for burial? 
at the, gra- the graveside is one. Okay. Yep. And the other is at a seum when you finish a tractate of the Talmud. So there's a, a special Kaddish which has another, ex- a different expansion. It's not Al Yisrael, Val Rabbanan, Val Kamidon. It's a different expansion. And that's only recited on two occasions when you finish a tractate of Talmud and, um, at the graveside. Okay. And generally in liberal communities, we don't do that at the graveside, that practice, because people really don't know it and it's Aramaic and it's hard and they've never looked at it before. And the poor mourners, they stumble over mourners cottage at the graveside as it is anyway. Right. So we, we don't torture them by saying this, um, you know, unusual long cottage that they've never seen before, but in traditional circles, there's a special graveside Kaddish, okay, which is called Kaddish the Itchadata because it has the word Itchadata in it. So maybe we'll get to that. Okay, so we haven't spoken at all, and I guess we're not going to get to it today. I haven't talked, spoken at all about the meaning of the Kaddish. We'll talk about that next week. But so far, we've just lined up the history of how it got to be here, the core experience of it originally, which is a leader getting the Kahal to praise God's name and how the Kaddish migrated. We don't know when, somewhere between the year, somewhere before the year 800, to be a prayer that was said repeated times in uh, the service. And today we will totally not get up to Kaddish Yatom at all which starts being a custom maybe around the year 1100 of the Common Era, which is what we Jews would refer to as uh, relatively recently. So only a thousand years ago. It's not that ancient. Okay, now I will pause for questions, comments, puzzlements. Uh, uh, Larry, you had a hand up. Maybe you'll come back And until Larry comes back. Any other questions or comments, thoughts? So, so far, we just talked about structure and history, and we have not really looked at the words of the Kaddish, other than the core line, Yeheshmei Rabbah Mavarach. We'll look at the words of the Kaddish next week. So next week, we'll look at the words and what does it mean. And um, and we may or may not get to mourners next week. That might take three weeks. Okay. Larry, you want to come back and unmute? I'm here. I actually did not have a question. Oh, I, so I, I raised you- my hand. It was by accident. Oh, it was just a, it was just the hand was in the air. Okay. It was just a motion. It was not actually a hand raise. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Alan. Yeah. I have a question we probably would want to talk about later, but just something to talk about, about, about when you stand and when you don't stand, or do you stand all the time for every Kaddish and the different customs with respect? Okay. That's a short one. So I can answer that now. The, there, okay. The earliest sources, which I believe is in Masechet Sofrim, Tractate Sofrim from the year, somewhere between the year 600 to 800, says that you stand for Kaddish of the Torah reading. So the earliest requirement is only, I'll put it in air quotes, to stand for the Kaddish of the Torah reading. So there is a minhag to only stand for that Kaddish. The dominant traditional, i.e. generally orthodox minhag has become, but it's only minhag to stand for all Kaddishes, okay? The intermediate minhag, and again, there are halachic sources for all of these things, right? 
if you if you went to an Orthodox rabbi and you say th- that we stand that you stand for all kaddishes is only a minhag. Why do you do that minhag? The answer would be because that is the widespread minhag and it's our minhag, although it's only minhag, right? But once once it's universal minhag, then it's you know it's not just oh that's my minhag, right? Um, so the in- intermediate is you do you have to stand for kaddish in the Torah reading. You don't have to stand for the other kaddishes. But if you are already standing, you don't sit down, right? Just think of it. I'm asking you to do this really important thing, which is to praise God's name. And you're standing out of respect for some prayer you just said. And now we're getting to this important prayer where you're going to praise God's name and you sit down for that. How disrespectful is that? Right? So there are a lot of people who would say like, oh, you're standing for Alenu. You remain standing for the for mourners Kaddish. You don't sit down dafka when you get up to this important role of praising God's name. Okay, in 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 certainly in, I know the dominant reform minhag is that everyone sits for Kaddish except for the mourners, and I think they're kind of um, I'm going to say ex, explanation or rationale for how they enact that let us now call it a folk custom of mourners saying a particular Kaddish is we want the mourners to be clearly identifiable to the Kahal so that the Kahal knows who needs comfort, you know, or we're on, you know, they're the ones who get to lead this. So we're honoring them by they stand and they're identifiable. They are identifiable, right? And, Given that, that a, just like a social function of the Mishaberach for Cholim, right? For sick people is you go over to someone and say, Ooh, who are you saying the Mishaberach for? What's up? Oh, they're, huh, they're getting better. That all right. There's a social function to Mishaberach for Cholim so that it's announcement to people in the community who is ill and might need assistance or might need prayers. There's also a social function to mourners Kaddish of people knowing who are the mourners. Okay. So in, Reform shuls and some conservative shuls, the practice is dafka, everyone sits down except for those reciting mourners Kaddish. Okay. But the tr- widespread traditional minhag is, uh, one stands for all Kaddishes. And if you go to an Orthodox shul, you will look around, you will see that the vast majority of people are standing, but some people are sitting because some people have the minhag of I'm sitting. If I'm sitting, I don't have to stand up for mourners Kaddish, except for Kaddish of the Torah reading. That's the one at the, you know, at the end of the Torah reading. That's the one that Masechet Sofrim says explicitly that people should stand for. So longish answer, but Alan, I hope that answered your question. Right. So the answer is ask your rabbi, right? So (laughs) there, there are different practices and ask your rabbi, you know, and my minhag, my personal minhag is not to, um, Stand for all Kaddishes. If I'm sitting, I remain seated. Okay. Uh, this is my general practice. But you know, when I go to an Orthodox shul and everyone is standing, then I stand up because you know, when in Rome, do as the Romans. You do the local min. There are various sources that say, you know, when you have a different minhag and you're in a shul where they have that minhag, you don't separate yourself out from the shul where you are. You do their minhag. Okay. So that is a well-established halachic tradition. Uh, was there another hand? There might have been another hand. Yes, Vered. And then we'll wrap up. Bokel Tov. Um, 
my question, I think I will save till you will uh, teach us about Kaddish Yatom, because yes. unfortunately, I had to say it yes. recently, and I not always felt that I want to say those words. Yes. And uh, so we will uh, talk about it. You are correct. We'll talk about that maybe next week or maybe the week after. I'm not sure if we'll get to it in week two or week three, but I promise. Uh, Nevertheless, um, I wanted to ask you if it's possible uh, for you to send us to the group the the history. I I took notes uh, diligently. I'm very interested in that. Here's what I'm going to say, because some people, I I still don't have a group, and that's my failing. So if you want a copy of it, email me, abrahamhavivi at gmail.com, and I will send you a copy of it. I will also get it in condition to give it to Bert, who posts it with the podcasts, uh, although I can't do that today. Okay. Okay. Yes, I promise. Okay. Okay. Bivakasha, let's ring off. Everyone have a good day. Stay safe. Don't get COVID. Be Torah, and God willing, we'll meet next week. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.